This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And I'm Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 320, recorded Thursday, April 13th, 2017. It sure is. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. We are going to do more feedback about the season seven grand finale here. Uh, It's been about, it's been exactly a week since we did our last feedback show, but I needed the time to get organized and read it all and, and make sure, you know, we were including the best stuff. Well, it's a feedback show, so those happen on Thursdays. So, yeah, it's it's been about exactly a week, like you said, and I think that's appropriate. No, you're right. It It is. It would have been weird if we'd done it on Monday, because then I would have recapped the feedback and it wouldn't have been the same. No, I felt weird on Monday not doing a podcast, and I felt weird on Sunday night not watching the episode. I felt like I was not doing something I should be. I felt guilty. <laughs> you were slacking off. I felt like I was slacking off. But really, you weren't. Well, yeah. That's okay. Season's over. Um, I don't know if you can tell I've, I'm getting a bit of a cold, so I hope I don't sound too bad. I will try to get through this without losing my voice. But after tonight, I got four straight days of no work to just lay around the house and rest. So I intend on doing that. Nice. I mean, I I probably won't because I got stuff to do around here and outside, but if I need to sweep and then rake the yard and, uh. Oh, I have so much to do outside. Reshingle the roof on the garage. (laughs) I don't know. Could use it actually, so maybe not this weekend. Uh, but I, I hope I'll survive and, and get through. Um, I know, uh, I don't know, I'll try my best. Uh, also, you know, the Leafs have started their first playoff round in four years tonight. It's game one against the Washington Capitals. And uh, I watched the first period before we started, but now I'm missing it. So uh, go Leafs, go. I hope they win. And and remind me, the, uh, the hockey... League has playoffs every year? <laughs> yes, Jason. Like oh, pretty much every professional <laughs> sports league. Okay. They do. I'm just, you know, just checking in. Playoffs started last night, uh, but the Leafs first round series goes tonight and uh, they were winning at last check and it looks like it's still 2-1. So uh, suck it, Washington. Sorry. <laughs> I like Please. the Capitals, but uh, you know, not when they're against my Leafs. <laughs> right. There it's all go. about us versus them, right? So it's it's fine. Of course. That's that's what sports boils down to, really, yeah. in some cases. All right. Well, we have some long phone calls and some long emails on this edition of the Feedback uh, Podcast. So why don't we get into it now? And so we're not here all night. Done. Listener Feedback. First one is a phone call from Sam in Decatur, Georgia. Hey there, Chris and Jason. This is Sam from Decatur, Georgia. And my holy crap is, uh, it covers a lot of things in this episode. I mean, it was holy crap. Did you see how corny that episode was? Uh, It was kind of boring at times. Then it started to get exciting a little bit. But just when I thought Carl was going to take one to the back of the head, uh, this freaking tiger comes out of nowhere and like disarms Negan. Uh, luckily nobody gets shot from our crew. There's like Alexandrians laying on the ground, but I've never seen their faces before. They don't have names. Uh, and like the music that's playing when, uh, when the folks from the kingdom step in and start shooting and that little bit that, 
King Ezekiel says, like, today is not the day when Alexandria falls. I'm like, get out of here, man. Like, anybody would be able to hear any talk over all the gunfire that was going on right there. Um, like, seriously, when that, when that tiger jumped in the screen and disarmed Negan, I, like, stood up. I was like, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with this show anymore. All right, it'll probably wear off in the offseason. But um, in the meantime, thanks for the podcast, guys. Thank you, Sam. So I detect a little bit of uh, cynicism in there, maybe. A little bit. A little. Uh, You know, on on how some of the things in this season finale were a bit uh, on the far-fetched side, possibly. I would uh, would tend to agree with that. We have more emails and calls about that later on that uh, they get into this in a little more detail. But uh, yeah, generally, I would would agree with you, Sam. Yeah, and I do too. But for some reason, it did not bother me that much. And especially compared- At the time, no. In retrospect, uh, reading through these emails, uh, a lot of people are making a lot of really good points, and I'm kind of being won over to that, uh, Uh-oh. that way of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, man. You're letting people change or cloud your your euphoria of the season finale. It's one of my one of my few qualities in, in that when somebody makes a compelling argument, I can actually change my mind. That's interesting because almost nobody, especially these days, can do that. Yeah, exactly. We live in this this age where when someone presents you with a counter-argument based on rational, logical facts, most people's tendency is to dig their heels in and, and you know, go with their own incorrect beliefs, or maybe not incorrect, but stick with their own beliefs even stronger. Yeah. Well, Which, when I'm right, I'm right. Absolutely. But- when somebody makes a compelling argument and it turns out that they're right, you know, I'm not above changing my mind. Well, you're an intelligent man. Wow. Valuable. (laughs) (laughs) I can change my mind. That doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Next we have an email from Lori in Houston, not the internet. Okay. Just Houston. Just Houston. Uh, So Laurie writes, uh, there were complaints about how slow season seven was and that the characters were beaten down. Yes. How long would it take for people to bounce back after seeing their loved ones beaten to a bloody death? If they had popped right up and moved on, we would have complained about that. Remember Maggie missing Beth? Maggie moved forward as best as she could while avoiding cannibals, but that wasn't good enough for the fan base either. So we're all a bunch of complainers. Yeah, I, I would think so. And that's uh, kind of true. Yeah, well, I'm not denying it. But also at the same time, I feel like you and I, Jason, more than maybe others out there, are are able to be fair and honest with our opinions on the show. When it's good, we're, we're, we praise it. And when it's not good, we let it know. Yeah, there are, there are good things and we like the good things, but there are bad things and, uh, you know, let the opinions fly. And sometimes we like the bad things too. I like some bad things. Yes, you do. And sometimes we hate the bad things. So it's, it, it's all over the place really. But, uh, I see what, you know, I see what Lori is kind of saying in that, uh, people sometimes just like to complain and, uh, sometimes just nothing is good for people when they, when they, when they go too slow, it's too slow, but if they speed it up, it's too fast. And so sometimes I feel like you can't win, but. Overall, I think uh, the finale was more winning than losing. Yeah. I still feel I, that way anyways. 
Yeah, you, you can't please all the people all the time. No. Nope. So why why try? You just try to please some of the people once in a while. Please yourself. <laughs> or just please yourself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here comes a call from Nathan on the internet. Hey, Chris. Jason. Um, so I was thinking about season seven of this show, and um, my main thought is that, you know, you've been hearing a lot about people saying this season has not been good, the storyline's going terribly, things are not well done, it's not, it's, it's a slow drudge through the storyline. I completely disagree. I think season seven is finally moving. The show is finally picking up. Things are happening. People who are important might actually die. I do think they should have killed Carl. That would have been awesome. I, I was actually sighing relief when they were about to kill Carl. I was like, oh, good. They, they found a way to get rid of the dead weight. You know, they can move on with the show. Um, but, you know, I, they didn't. And that's okay. But soon, hopefully. And I, I don't know. There's a war that's about to happen. There's other villains who are here. Sure, Negan's a comic book villain, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan is playing him like a comic book villain. Um, it's okay to be a cartoon when you were based off of a cartoon, and um, I don't mind it. I think it's kind of enjoyable. I like him more than the governor. And, uh, you know, I think that finally, it's going in the right direction. What do you guys think? Let me know. Thanks, Nathan. Um, I think that, uh, my feelings about Negan, I've, I've, you know, expressed over and over again. And I guess Nathan has a point in saying that it's a comic book villain. He's playing him like a comic book villain. Uh, but you know, there's a difference between, you know, Dr. Octopus and Negan, right? They're different kinds of comics. They're different kinds of stories. And also he may be based on a comic book villain. The Walking Dead TV show is not a comic book. It's a TV show. And yeah. sometimes you have to make changes and adaptations to make the same character work on different platforms. Yeah. And I guess they've tried to do that. And I guess they've tried to, um, you know, portray Negan in a little bit of a different way for, for the TV show. Uh, but... But even with those changes, for me, he doesn't entirely work. But you know what? As the season came to the end, I was a little bit more on board with JDM's portrayal. And I have a feeling that as he settles into the character somewhat, it's going to get even better. So I look forward to seeing what happens in season eight. Uh, me too. I think he is settling into the character. I don't think I was uh, as annoyed by him as you were, but uh, I, I think it is... Uh, I think he is settling into the character a little bit more, and I think uh, it's uh, it's more enjoyable now than it was at the beginning. Yeah, it takes time sometimes. It takes time for a TV show to re really figure out what it is. Um, you know, some of the best TV shows, are they start out as something a little bit different than what they ultimately become. Uh, obviously, The Walking Dead's been on for seven years, but in this case, Negan, he starts out one way, and, and he's... They're molding him into the kind of character that he's going to be long-term, right? Assuming he sticks around on the show somewhat yeah. long-term. And, and if he does manage to acquire four uh, sentient uh, mechanical arms along the way, like Dr. Octopus, I think, uh, I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, it would make him a very different kind of villain. <laughs> it would. Uh, still a comic book villain. 
Oh yeah. Just a very different kind of villain. Absolutely. Oh, you'd have to also write his doctorate in something too, right? You just couldn't have four arms like that. You have to, uh, you have to have a doctorate. Well, you, Doc Ock. Yeah. You can't just call yourself a doctor. I mean, <laughs> forget it. Um, can you imagine? All right, scrap the whole idea. Yeah. <laughs> like what, where's he going to go? Like, what's he going to do? How's he going to get a doctorate? There's no universities anymore. No, he's going to have to become, I don't know, Killer Croc instead. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe uh, Green Goblin. I'm maybe going. He has a doctorate in his, in the previous life. Or, you know, maybe it all kind of coalesces, and they talk about how he got his doctorate in philosophy. <laughs> that can happen. He's a doctor of philosophy. <laughs> I met a doctor of philosophy. Oh, yeah. once. yeah, yeah. I'm not making fun of it at all. It's an important... I don't know what they would do for a living other than teach English. That's the only thing I can think of. But Jason, philosophers whatever. ask the important, the big important questions in life. No, I understand that. I'm just talking about financially. You know. Who pays people to ask the big, important questions? Oh, good point. Yeah. Not me. I haven't paid for that kind of thing yet. You know, I might, <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. The day will come when you need one of those questions posed, because you're probably not going to get a satisfying answer. <laughs> you know, if I pay somebody to ask, uh, pay a doctorate in philosophy, a doctorate, a doctor of philosophy to ask the big, important question, do you think I would get a satisfactory answer? Well, I don't know if you'll get the big important answer, but it could be satisfactory. <laughs> That's quite the weird red hole. All right, next we have a call from Max in Connecticut. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is Max, the teacher from Connecticut. Just wanted to call and give my two cents about this last episode and a little bit about this season. You know, I think what I liked most about this episode is that, you know, they covered a lot of ground. We were able to see pretty much almost all angles from our main characters. Um, you know, but unfortunately for me recently, that has been the bar of whether or not it's a good episode or not. Did they cover enough ground? And I find myself constantly comparing it to the comic book. And, you know, I was disappointed at last season finale because of what they didn't do. And I've been disappointed this season because of how slow they've been going. And it's kind of like they're milking it for everything they got when the second half of the season could have been, you know, all out war. Um, they could have actually got into it. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, Jason's only read up to issue 100. I mean, what do you think of this season? I mean, I know that I'm just constantly irritated because we're not getting anywhere. Um, and as a comic book fan, I'm just thinking, man, there's so much good stuff coming up. Why don't they get to this? Um, and they're doing stuff that I don't really care about. You know, I've, kind of getting a little sick of Carol in the in her little hut and I don't really care much about Sasha and Rosita and their little crazy kamikaze mission. So I just feel like it's been a bunch of wasted time. I'm curious on your thoughts uh, and, and I really would like to stop, you know, rating the series on, you know, how much they're covering. If that makes sense. I don't know. All right guys, keep up the good work. You know, I'm always downloading, I'm always listening. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you, Max. Uh, I think he brings up an interesting point in that he's no longer evaluating the episodes on, you know, whether they're thrilling, entertaining, emotional, or have great dialogue, or what happens. He's he's gotten to a point where he's just wishing that they would pick it up a little, and you know, he's he's deciding whether he likes it based on sort of what how much happens and how, how much he feels like the story has progressed. And I can, I can see that I have, 
I have shades of that myself thinking about some of these episodes. Um, but it is a little bit sad that it's come to that for some people, I think. It is. It's uh, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, one is uh, my first drum teacher, uh, Jim McComb. He's probably dead. He used to say, if you accent everything, you accent nothing, right? <laughs> so you can't accent everything. Uh, the other thing is uh, uh, the, I don't want to spoil anything, but I was reading the uh, the last book in the um, the Dark Tower series. Uh, and it was the forward by Stephen King, uh, talking about the journey versus the reward. And that's a struggle that I've had in, uh, you know, TV and books and movies and such. And I'm trying really hard to enjoy the journey of, uh, of stories rather than, uh, you know, the hard plot points to move the story along. And I guess it would be harder, uh, for you, Chris, and for Max uh, since you know where the comic book goes and it does go into all out war, he's mentioned that. And I remember seeing that somewhere in the, uh, in the comic book. So, uh, from what I see, we're getting there and I can see how it can be frustrating knowing that we are getting where, getting there. And then we get stuff like the whole Rosita and Sasha, uh, sitting in a sniper's nest right next to Negan's compound, uh, and you know, chatting. Right. You know, I can see how that can be frustrating, uh, but we have to just try and enjoy the story as it is instead of the story that we want it to be. That is very well put. And I, I think that's the thing about, and, and that's a, well, that's the thing about the knowing where the comics go. And I've experienced that more and more lately for some reason. I don't know exactly why because you know the show has in a way always followed the comics to more of a degree or to lesser of a degree at times um but for some reason right now i seem to be a little bit more able to focus on that and i think max probably has the same problem so yeah i can feel it but you know what I'm trying to think about what is the difference like why did it not bother me so much in the first few seasons but it is more of a problem now and I don't know if I have an answer for that quite yet are you so excited for where the comic books uh have gone and that you want the show to go it it could be it could be some of that because I think some of the stuff that's happening in the comics now and in the post all out war uh, era of the comics is some of the best stuff they've done. Some of the best stuff Kirkman's done in a while, actually. So that could be part of it. But I loved the comic back in the early days too, you know, back when they were at the prison, that was amazing, amazing stuff. And I didn't have this feeling, I don't think anyways, back, back then with the TV show. So, so I don't know what it is. And the only thing I can speculate is it's something about the way they're telling the story on the TV show. And I, it's going to be super unsatisfying for everyone. Cause I don't know how to sort of expand on that or define it. Um, or even, or even sort of figure out what's different about the way they tell the story now that it was five years ago. So I don't know. I mean, the TV show is the thing that's, that's new every week. And for some reason right now, it can be a little bit more frustrating, uh, with, with the way they're, telling it out, drawing it out, something like that. So I don't know. It's tough. It is. And 
you know, I envy you in a way more than ever before for stopping the comic at number 100. Because now you're in this wild west of you have no idea what's happening. You don't know what's going to go on unless I tell you. And I'm not going to tell you. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Maybe I should just stop reading. But I also don't want to do that because the comic's really good. And part of me feels like I should continue reading to try and inform my opinion on the TV show a little bit, but I also have to remember they're different things. So, right. So obviously what you need to do is invent a time machine, go back and try, uh, and you know, slap the comic out of your own hand and not read the comic. And then once you, once the series ends, go back and slap the original person that went to slap the comic out of your hand so that the comic doesn't get slapped out of your hand. Uh, and then you can enjoy the, uh, the TV show. That's probably what's happening now, really. That sounds that, really complicated. You're in, yeah, you're in that. You're in the second phase through uh, of this timeline. Is what I figure is happening. <laughs> okay. Second time through. All right. Well, I'll let you know if I show up while we're recording tonight. I show up in the room beside me and slap myself for any reason. Uh, I think Stephen Hawking did that. He had a party uh, where he didn't send out the invitations until the day after the party. Uh, just inviting any time travelers to uh, to come and. Uh, join him at his party but nobody showed up <laughs> funny <laughs> go figure <laughs> well it's Stephen Hawking you know I guess it's smart if anyone's doing if anyone knows when to send invitations to time travelers <laughs> yeah and I guess, I guess if anybody does it would be him <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay uh next is it <laughs> what's going on here I think all right you introduced the next one uh no well no, you're next. I, that was Max in Connecticut. It was. All right. Well, this is Hannibal in Montclair, New Jersey. Hey, Chris and Jason. Hannibal here from Montclair, New Jersey. I became a fan of the podcast a few years back when I was living outside of Osaka, Japan. Uh, I agree with both of you. The show finale for this season was fantastic, action-packed. almost felt like a George Lu Lucas directed Star Wars where you have a little bit of action and then some downtime, a little bit of action and then some downtime and then end with some action. Uh, it was great to see the kingdom and the hilltop come on in. And uh, and yes, like the battle of the five armies. And um, before I get to my other comments about the season finale, I just wanted to say that uh, I have a, a holy crap, did you see that from the mid-season that uh, uh, no one's mentioned yet. Uh, when Rick and the gang meet up with the, uh, the scavengers at the uh, junkyard, um, one of the scavengers behind Jadis is holding a, a stick or a bat, and it has a figure skate blade attached to it. thought that was funny and, and, and interesting and just kind of took me back to Tom Hanks and Castaway. And uh, you, Chris, being a, a hockey fan, thought oh, you might notice that. But anyhow, uh, as far as the season finale goes, uh, you know, Negan is your typical bully on the outside, coward on the inside. When the crap hit the fan, he shot a couple rounds, ran out of bullets, and then uh, Simon protected him, and he ran uh, like a wuss. I won't be surprised that when he's finally on his knees in front of Rick and the Alexandria gang, uh, that he would, uh, he's going to start crying and start begging for mercy and begging for his life, because in reality, he's just a coward. And if he goes down with his theatrics, um, you know, I, I kind of would be disappointed. And also, I wouldn't be surprised that, that eventually King Ezekiel reveals that him and Negan were part of the same uh, community of theater group. And Negan was always 
uh, envious of Ezekiel because Ezekiel always got the leading parts and uh, Negan always played uh, a tree or uh, left guard number two. Thanks again, guys. Keep doing a good job and we'll keep listening to your podcast. Have a great summer. Fantastic. You too. Have a great summer, Hannibal. Thanks for that. First of all, I did not notice the uh, scavenger with the skate blade attached to a stick, but that's a pretty pretty sweet weapon, I, I gotta say. It is pretty sweet. It's easy too, because once you rip it apart, the uh, the skate has like holes where you can mount it to things. You get a screwdriver and some screws, you can screw that skate blade to uh, whatever piece of wood you want. That's a fantastic idea. Makeshift, makeshift axe, in a way. Or, you know, you could get an axe. They're probably pretty handy around, you know, if probably. you're scavenging for things, you could probably find an axe. Probably. Um, it reminds me, though, uh, update is now 2-2 Toronto-Washington, end of the second. So, uh, come on, Washington. Exciting. Suck it. Um, and then, Please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, what else did Hannibal talk about? I... Well, he well he mentioned that uh, it was exciting, like when George Lucas was uh, directing Star Wars, which I found humorous. Uh, but you know, the the original one, as long as he not doesn't have uh, complete control, it, it's good stuff. Well, how many Star Wars did George Lucas direct? The first one, the A New Hope. Yeah, and at least one of the prequel trilogy, right? Yeah, you know, he might was did he get a directing credit for those, but he was so in charge of everything and you know, he either flat out ruined it or chickened out and ruined it, depending <laughs> on who you ask and uh, what you think about uh, Jar Jar being the uh uh the mastermind behind everything. <laughs> yeah, I that 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 whole idea just upsets me. Um but I was just, I, I know he directed A New Hope. I just don't remember if he directed any of the prequel trilogies. Oh, he directed all three of them. Yeah, see, he's not, just don't give him, I'm so glad he's sitting somewhere with his billions and laughing and, uh, you know, buying, you know, four pound balls of chocolate that he just fills the swimming pool with. I assume that's what he's doing. Cause if I had that much money, that's what I would do. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> not like a ball pit, but made of chocolate. <laughs> a tr- four pound right? chocolate ball pit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, it's just fantasies. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what was the last thing he said? <laughs> um, damn it. There was a third point about Negan being a coward and just ending up crying and, and, uh, oh, and then the funny bit about, uh, him and Ezekiel being in the same, theater group and Negan just had to play a tree and so was always jealous. Oh yeah, like the playing the third lobster in the nativity scene. Yeah, that's right. That's the <laughs> least important lobster in that scene. Yeah, that's from Love Actually. Right. <laughs> it was a good movie. <laughs> it was, yeah. With Andrew Lincoln in it, of course. Andy Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess they could have been part of the same the, the, theater troupe, but uh, you know, that would be uh, even more surprising that uh, Ezekiel ended up uh, being theatrical and having a lion. That's or right. A tiger. A tiger, a yes. Don't confuse the two. They're very different. They're very different. All right, we'll move on to the next one. It's sort of along the same lines about Negan. All right, so it's Mark from Indiana. Uh, Mark writes, I thought it was really fun to see Negan actually on his heels and angry. Usually he is very playful or cartoony with a smile on his face, but we have finally seen him flustered and running away. Also felt very weird and emasculating for him to be running away with Simon acting as a bodyguard slash cover. Yeah. So, you know, Negan, he, he had to take cover in that fight. Like he seemed like the only person who really did take any cover. 
Everyone else was just standing out in the open. But he, for the first time, was not in control, which was the interesting yeah. thing. And, uh, you know, Hannibal and uh, probably Mark in Indiana are the kind of guys, and me included, who are looking forward to the time when Negan isn't in 100% control, which he seems to have been up until now. Yeah, but luckily Simon has perfect situational awareness and is able to uh, to take control and to uh, to you know you know throw that guy at Negan so that the uh, the lion would take him. Yeah, tiger. Fuck. Sorry. Uh, and then uh, and then save his ass. So you know Simon's really the, the best person in this whole show. Simon can do no wrong. <laughs> that guy. I'd follow him. If Negan died, if we say I was there and I was part of the hilltop and uh, I liked Gregory, let's just assume that I liked Gregory and was living at the hilltop for some reason. And then, uh, you know, I'd hate Negan because Negan's the bad guy with the bat and stuff. But if Negan died and Simon took over, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. I am Simon. You know, because I'd assume we'd all change our name to Simon, right? And I would change my name to Simon. I would take, I would go to Gregory with a form that I had filled out saying, Gregory, I would like to formally and officially, legally change my name to Simon because I am Simon. Don't you think they'd need to adopt some sort of Simon Says? Of course. Mantra. I just assume that that's background information. Simon Says, I do stuff, you know? Right. Gregory Says, go fuck yourself. But if Simon Says something, (laughs) I go, I do it. I do it. Simon's the man. All right. Next up, we got a call from Designer Will in Brooklyn. Hey, Chris and Jason. This is Designer Will from Brooklyn. I wanted to give some thoughts on the season seven finale. I liked that Sasha became a walker, but I felt like the time spent with those flashbacks between her and Abe were a little bit heavy handed. It just seemed to take too long. I get it. Her passing is a big deal, but it was just drawn out, in my opinion, a little bit much. Uh, Curious to see what you guys think about that. Additionally, I'm excited uh, that Dwight left that little uh, carving behind for Daryl or someone to find that gives us hope that he will be instrumental still in the taking out of Negan. And lastly, I want to say that I think this proves that the little birdie was uh, someone from the trash crew, which um, excuses Enid from the whole she's a spy theory. At least that's my point or my thought on that. Curious to see if your guys' opinions have changed after this episode. Uh, keep it up, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, designer Will. So first of all, I think that I don't think there's any question as to who as to the fact that the little bird was Jadis or somebody from the Scavengers. That's how Negan knew what was going on. They made a competing deal with him, yep. and uh, that's that's it. So it wasn't Enid. So I think we're back to Enid's not a spy. Oh, I don't know, man. Just because uh, we have proof that uh, that the little bird was someone from the scavengers, that doesn't necessarily mean that Enid is off the hook. She's just a little too there when all the important discussions are happening. I don't know. I, I you know, I, I probably it's. I think it's uh, more, uh, you know, like ninety percent probably that she's not a spy. But in my mind, I can't quite let her off the hook because uh, just because we have somebody else being uh, the little bird is not proof about her. Right? Oh, I understand. Uh, yeah. So I can't, I can't just, uh, I can't just let her off the hook that easily. I need some proof that is directly related to her to let her off the hook. Okay. So I feel like this whole Enid thing 
it's it goes back and forth and every time Enid does something you can you can read it as you know supporting the theory that she's a spy and then every time something else happens like this where she had nothing to do with it for as far as we know then that swings it back to well you know she's not a spy <laughs> and honestly part of me feels like the show is playing with us a little bit at this point you know it's like we're gonna do the pickle thing we're gonna have her always around when conversations are happening and we we know she was climbing in and out of the walls at alexandria so she was coming and going as she pleased so all those things are sort of leading you one path and then when there is a an intelligence situation in the show where negan has information he shouldn't have they know everyone's gonna be like oh it must be enid or they're he they know at least people are going to speculate on how he got that information and based on the facts of the show well Enid's a pretty good candidate, but then it turns out not to be her. So are they playing with us on purpose? Is it all just in our minds? I don't know, but I'm backed. I I don't think they're, I don't think the show is going to make Enid a spy. I think it's just going to fizzle out. And if they do at this point, I think the cynic in me thinks that they're doing it because the fans invented this theory and they're going to include it in the show. All right, cards on the table. She's not a spy. It's too much of a long game. If they make her a spy, they'd have to do like 47 flashbacks to prove that she's been doing it all along, and they don't do that kind of thing. It's too involved. It's too complicated. It would have been fun, but really, she's not a spy. I think if they do it, though, now, they'll be retconning their own show. It won't have been the plan all along they will be um, retroactively changing the continuity of the show. Yeah. It's it's too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for or phrase? It's too soap opera to, to retcon that, uh, that whole thing. It's just, it's, it's too much. No, she's not a spy. Uh, if they were going to reveal that, w- that she was a spy, they would have ramped up the... Uh, uh, the information proving it and then they would have revealed it by now. Or have had no hints at all and made it a huge shocking twist at some point. That's probably what they would have done because, you know, throwing things in for the sake of throwing them in uh, to be entertaining plot-wise that don't make any sense whatsoever seems to be uh, something that they do lately. Yeah, it, it kind of does. So, I don't know. So, yeah, I... I don't want to have to change my mind again someday, but at this moment, I don't think there's any spying going on, at least on Enid's part. Yeah. I think it's fun to not let her off the hook, but honestly, I don't think they're going to do it. Story-wise, I just don't think it makes any sense. Right. No. Entertainment fun-wise, she's totally a spy. (laughs) (laughs) So you can both, you can believe both at the same time. Yes. It seems like. (laughs) Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Chris in Toronto. Chris with a K. Yes. Uh, Chris writes, I have to disagree with you guys and the constant discussion of how something doesn't add to the story. For example, regarding how Dwight's scene did not contribute to the final battle, that's true, but it's still part of the story. It was a plot point and gave hope to the audience, but was taken away when it didn't work. Just because it doesn't result in something tangible in the story doesn't mean it's a waste of time. No, and that's not what I was, what I think we were saying. I, 
I don't think having the Dwight be a turncoat is, or a traitor to Negan is a waste of time in any respect, uh, because it is going to go somewhere. And I think something there's going to be fallout from that, but it didn't really affect the, the events of the season finale, which it doesn't have to necessarily, right? Stuff, stuff can be set up in one episode and paid off in another, even, you know, a, a ways down the road. But to be so direct and say, here's the plan, this is what we're going to do, and then show, you know, some of the outcome or the results of Dwight's plan. They, they were cleaning up the trees, remember? So Dwight tried to do it, but yeah. then but then nothing happened. Um, seems like it was all kind of for naught. They were leading the audience down one path, and then that's not where they went, which is fine, right? But I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of time spent with Dwight doing this and then it sort of didn't pan out and really the only point was to show that Dwight was um defecting from Negan's side right which they could have done in just in that jail scene and you know um without trying to execute this plan or something like that you know it would have been a different way to do things because maybe Dwight would have still been in that jail scene at the end or in the jail cell at the end yeah um but it just felt like there was a bit much of him in there for something that, you know, really played no part in the episode, really. Yeah. Well, it's a very fun line between uh, having something uh, part of the story for being part of the story, and that's good. And uh, the other side of that is if it's not important to the plot, don't show it. Right? Well, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's a very fine line you have to skirt. So in, in this case, they had uh, this one example that Chris mentions is that, uh, you know, there was something that didn't really affect the outcome, but was it important to the story or was it needed for the story? Most likely because we got that little, uh, uh snake in the mailbox at the end there with, uh, with the little figurine, uh, it probably will be important to the story later. So we're, we're paying into something now that'll pay off later. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. It's important to the story, but it wasn't important really to the plot of this episode. Other than maybe you could argue that Negan and his guys were delayed a little bit in getting there. Um, but did that do anything? Did that cause the thing, anything to go down differently? I'm not so sure it did. So, um, ultimately, you know, I'm sure there's going to be interesting stuff with Dwight and his defection from, from Negan. Uh, but, you know, it's, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Did, did, did that uh, euphemism I, I use snake in the mailbox, does that make sense to you? It's, it does to me. I don't know if everyone will get that though. It's from Jay and Jack, right? Uh, I don't think from they the coined lost, it. The Lost, the lost pod, podcast? Yeah, but I think the, the, um, I think the showrunners on Lost, Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, one of them coined that phrase. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so it's not just a podcasting guy, a couple of guys. It's an actual, uh, you know, Lindelof phrase. Yeah, and I, I don't know if they were the first to coin it, but that's where I heard it first from one of them. It's it's a big reveal at the end of the show that changes uh, something that's happening in the plot. Like it re, it makes you reevaluate something that's happening. It's a surprise at the end. Surprise, right? exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, you're just going outside and going to your mailbox to get the mail and, oh my God, there's a snake. That's always surprising when it happens to me. Yeah, me too. I've uh, I've found a centipede in my mailbox actually, which is nice. Fucking scary. Those things. Are Did you gross. eat it? No, I ran away screaming like a little girl. I hate centipedes. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need it. 
Uh, no, I'm not a cat <laughs> or a dog. <laughs> right. I've seen cats do that. All right, let's move on. Jay in Jerusalem gave us a call. Hi, Chris and Jason. Um, holy crap, did you see that? If you zoom in on images of Negan's bat, uh, Lucille, you'll notice that the spikes on the barbed wire aren't really there. I guess on the set, they decided they want to be really careful with the actors or whatever, but there aren't actually really any pokey parts that seem to be particularly dangerous. Um, my son was looking over my shoulder and spotted it on one of the screenshots that we saw on IMDb. Anyway, just an interesting point. Um, I guess it's just the way it goes along with not using real tigers and stuff like that to protect the cast. Anyway, love the podcast. Take care. Thanks, Jay. So just kind of an interesting holy crap right there that uh, I guess they use safety bats occasionally so you don't accidentally club somebody with a barbed wire bat. Smart. And most likely when the actors are close, they use they don't use real zombies either, I assume. No, they only use the real zombies for the long shots. Yeah. That's, right? Yeah, that's what I kind of figured. Okay, good. Thank you, Jay, for, safety, for that. Safety first. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, next we have an email from Dominique in Northern Quebec. Remember Bob? Happy, smiling Bob? He was in love with Sasha. In fact, I remember her returning a kiss once. Not a major romance, but there was something uh, budding there before he died. And then Sasha never mentioned him again. Just like she never talked about Tyrese. Remember Tyrese, her brother? Uh, what I'm saying is Sasha had some important people in her, in their, in her life. They died and she just moved on. But after a fling with Abraham, well, now she's all gung-ho ready to die for him. I find this very inconsistent. Her attachment to Abraham just seemed a little over the top. Poor Bob. Poor Bob. He got no respect, no love in the episode. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a valid point. Nothing about Bob. Nothing about her brother. It was all about this new dude that she just met and barely had a relationship with. Uh, but that being said... And I realized something, you know, we've, we had trouble with the amount of grieving Maggie did when it came to her sister. Yeah. You know, the amount of grieving that any of these characters go through at any one time, you know, if, if everyone grieved realistically when someone died, that's all the show would be because people are dying all the time. Hey, granted less lately to be fair, but imagine if we had, you know, we had flashbacks to uh, to Bob and to Tyrese and to Abraham, it would have been too much, maybe. It would have been too much, but, you know, realistically, most likely what happened was uh, actor contracts couldn't uh, be put in place to get all those people back for a couple of flashback scenes. Well, Cudlitz was on contract for season seven, at least one or two episodes, but, yeah. you know, uh Chad Coleman has been gone for a while and Bob's been exactly. gone for a while, so. Yeah, yeah, we can get Abraham back. He, you know, that planned. But to have flashbacks to Tyrese and Bob, we'd have to, you know, oh my God, we have to get the actors back in. We have to put in contracts. We have to fly them out, work around schedules. It just seems like a huge logistical pain in the ass. <laughs> and Cudlitz is here anyway. He just won't leave. <laughs> <laughs> He's just been hanging around we, for the you know, whole season. His, his, he brought his own trailer. I don't know what's going on. He's doing his own catering. <laughs> his, his lease in Atlanta is, isn't up for another six months, so he's not going anywhere, so we might as well throw him back on the he show. He won't cut his hair. No. <laughs> so, you know, I, it took a long time to get rid of Stuky, but he eventually left. We don't want to bring him back. They probably filmed this flashback scene like six months ago, really. 
They could have. They might have, actually. That's a, that's a good... Well, assuming they knew the season finale, right, early on, um, it would be a good way to keep it secret because there's nobody going, oh, look, Cudlitz is back on set for a day, yep. you know, so... That's probably what they did. I mean, you, you they plan out the whole season ahead of time, don't they? Well, I, I think mostly. I think they're still kind of refining the later episodes when they're filming the, the first few. But the overall story arc is mapped out, I would assume. And they would, you know, by doing the story arc, they're like, okay, how's the season going to end? Okay, we'll have this, uh, you know, have her kill herself and come out of the, uh, come out of the casket. Uh, you know, we're going to have flashbacks. So yeah, okay, you know, we'll organize the, the, the Abraham scenes, you know, while he's still on set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assume that they have it, you know, a, a, you know, refining little things is fine, but I think for scheduling actors, they probably do that in the early stages. It, it would make sense. I mean, financially to, to shoot them while they're there, you know, yeah. don't really, send them Really, what do I know? I can't even get stuff scheduled my own job for things that are happening next week. It's like, oh my God, I need another server. What are you crazy? We can't provision <laughs> a server between now and next week. We need six months lead time for that. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me six months ago? I don't know. I didn't think of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're better organized than you, I guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Than somebody. <laughs> I'm not a project manager in any way, shape or form. No. Nope. But I do get in shit when I don't properly provision ser- servers in time. <laughs> well, as you should. As I should, because that's my fault. All right. Melody in Brighton, Michigan wrote in and says, I think everyone, oh, this is about the Sasha and Maggie sunrise scenes that you and I forgot all about and then people corrected us on, which apparently were from season five, right after that big storm when Aaron shows up. Yep. Well, Melody writes, I think everyone is wrong about the Sasha Maggie sunrise scene. In these scenes, Maggie has short hair. Maggie doesn't cut her hair off until she's is in Alexandria. If this was the scene right before Aaron met them, then they hadn't been to Alexandria yet. What I think is that these were actual flashbacks of something we never saw on camera, like the Abraham scenes. Maybe this was something that Sasha and Maggie did together occasionally. Maybe this uh, was their bonding girl time, a way to enjoy something in this world that hasn't been spoiled and is still beautiful. Yeah, zombies can't kill the sun. <laughs> no, they cannot. Only this, <laughs> only another sun can kill the sun. Oh God, suns do battle. Oh, when we when our galaxy merges with uh, the Andromeda galaxy in like sixteen billion years or whatever, that's going to be a fun time. Yo, sure will. Two suns enter and only one sun comes out. Well, you know, really what's going to happen is they're going to, there's going to be all kinds of gravitational things and, you know, star systems are going to be flung all over the place, but the actual chances of two stars colliding, there's just so much open space inside a galaxy that they probably won't happen, but it could happen. It totally could happen. <laughs> it's totally possible, but it probably won't. <laughs> yeah. But by the time that happens, our sun's going to burn out and, you know, blow up as, as a supernova or at least become a, uh, a red giant and completely engulf our you know, lonely little planet here. So we're all fucked anyway, long before that happens. Oh, either so, way, you and I will be long gone. Yeah. I'm probably not going to last a week really. Oh dude, that's be morbid, <laughs> man. You'll be fine for the week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. Uh, but drink, drink d- my drink here. Okay. Just regarding the scene. I mean, the way I think it is, I think this, they were intending us to go back to that scene in season five, but they reshot it, uh, with Maggie's new haircut, which is fine because it is a memory right that we're seeing 
and Sasha is remembering back, but inserting Maggie in her current form into that memory, which I don't think is, I think is something that people do probably all the time. So I think the intention was, yes, there's the scene, but it was kind of different because Sasha was, was just remembering it slightly differently. I think the complete opposite. Uh, I think it wasn't something we saw originally. I think it was a flashback to something that, uh, that was never shown on camera because if it was a flashback to that time period, you know, somebody would say, Hey, she had longer hair and they'd slap a wig on her. Right. Well, you could be right. Yeah. I don't know. But there's people that have their whole jobs are, are continuity. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. We have to, you know, they take Polaroids of, well, I guess not anymore. They take digital photographs, but they take Polaroids of the actors, uh, in costume before they ever get on the set every day. And then they catalog those in a big book. And I assume some guy with thick glasses carries that book around with them all the time and says, okay, we need to, uh, what, what did, uh, what did Maggie look like back in season, blah, 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 uh, at this particular time. And they'd be like, we're flipping through the books. Like, oh, she had long hair. It's like, ah, crap, we got to get a wig. And, uh, Greg Nicotero would be like, yeah, I could whip up a wig. It just, you know, go shave, you know, my brother john who has the same hair <laughs> is a little bit longer and we'll make a wig out of that <laughs> nicotero can do anything <laughs> I guess, yeah as far as wigs go well sure <laughs> well i don't know you could be right i mean to throw a wig on her it doesn't sound that hard to do but either way it was it was either supposed to be that scene or it was a memory of a scene like that scene scene right <laughs> so uh i'm not sure but you know we'll never know all right, so we're at Corey in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I believe Eugene is officially turned to the dark side, and I think they may have tipped us off way back in season three. I took a pic. I took the picture below uh, in Sonoy, Georgia, on one of the Walking Dead tours. It can be seen in episode twelve, season three. Clear. Also, it says Eugene turned on Morgan's chalkboard. The people behind the show have said that everything on the walls is real and either has come true or will come true. I always assumed that this meant that Eugene turned into a walker, but maybe not. Okay, so the picture referring to is, is a screenshot he sent. No, sorry, a uh, picture he took of, yeah, those words on the wall in Morgan's apartment when Morgan was uh, clearing. Right. And um, I don't know. I don't believe everything written on those walls is intended to be true. It's the ramblings of a madman at the time, right? So, well, I don't know. Prophets may seem like madmen when they're <sighs> prophetizing. Yeah, I don't know, but I just think the writers are retconning their own show once again, where they wrote Eugene turned, and hey, look, here's an opportunity for Eugene to turn on his friends. So hey, it fits fits in, you know, back with this. It just season three. Come on, that is too long ago to foreshadow yeah. anything. If it said Eugene leaves the group in order to join Negan, you know, I'd be suspicious of that. Yeah. But, you know, Eugene turns. I would think that it basically means that, uh, you know, and I'm not discounting this, that Eugene turns into a walker. So that may still happen. It may still happen, but that's the thing. Like, that's a very general statement. Like, any character really could turn into a, a walker at some point. So Eugene turned probably meant Eugene becomes a zombie. At some point, yeah. but now, oh, we're going to, we're going to mix that up a little bit. And Eugene turned to the dark side instead. So 
Right. I don't know. Uh, next up is Graham in Tuscaloosa. Did you guys feel as if suicide was handled a bit too cavalier on the show? Sasha essentially made herself a weaponized zombie by taking Eugene's pill, but I do wonder if this will be an issue or get much blowback because she committed suicide. Suicide is a very painful thing for families, and I'm nervous at how the show used it as an action plot device. I'm sure every episode gets at least 100 pieces of hate mail for every aspect of every episode, but I wonder what will happen here. And then uh, read the next one if you want. Or if, uh, I'll read the next one. It's fine. Right. Uh, Trucker Tom writes, uh, I was so sad to see a secondary character die, and it was due to large part to all the memory flashbacks reinforcing her motivations to take her own life. If the episode had none of the flashbacks, I think would have uh, I would have thought, neat plan to get Negan and move on. Right. And I just thought this kind of goes to, goes with the last one in that, yes, obviously suicide is extremely uh, um, important or, or sensitive topic possibly for, for a TV show to handle. Now it's not the first time it's come up on the show. Yeah. Uh, although Beth didn't go through with it when she was uh, considering it back on the farm. But um, for me, I didn't, I don't think they mishandled it because of these flashbacks. I thought what Trucker Tom says in that, you know, the flashbacks with Abraham added a lot to her decision. It showed why she was doing it. They were there to explain the fact that we do these things to help each other. We do these things because we're a family and God, I'm not saying anyone should ever kill themselves in the name of someone else, but yeah. in this world, in this fictional TV show, given the circumstances, I think that the flashbacks and the storyline with Abraham are what convinced Sasha that this was the right thing to do and gave her the motivation to do it. So I don't think they were, they were, um, mishandling, you know, the, uh, the concept of, of suicide for me. I don't, I don't think, yeah. I, and I tend to agree with you. The, uh, uh, the suicide I think was handled in the same way that murder is handled. Uh, murder is also devastating to families and to a lot of people that are affected by it. But uh, in this show, murder happens all the time. We've had, you know, there was murder happening at the same time that Sasha was committing suicide. I don't think it's handled any differently. Yes, it sucks. And, uh, you know, suicide is a very significant part of some people's lives that affects them. I can uh, personally think of... Uh, I'm just listing off the people I know that have committed suicide and there's three, including a family member, uh, in my lifetime that I've personally known. And it is a very, uh, sensitive and, and, uh, a significant subject, but, you know, honestly, uh, when Sasha committed suicide, it didn't occur to me like that. It didn't, uh, it didn't affect me as much as, uh, any of the murders that are happening in, uh, in this show, have affected me. No, granted, I haven't, I don't know anybody who's been murdered. I'm trying to rack my brain. Uh, no, I didn't know them personally. It's fine. Um, so I, I, I just don't think the suicide is any different than the, uh, the murdering that's happening in this show. It's, it's a TV show. It's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, that happens. You know, you can murder 17 people, but as soon as you take a baseball bat to somebody's kneecaps, everybody goes, Oh, 
Well, that's, yeah. I mean, there's there are numerous double standards on the way TV shows are hand, handled in that oh. you can kill murder, you can murder, you can shoot people in the face, but you can't show a boob, you know? I mean. You can't show a boob and God forbid you kill a dog. Oh, oh. my God. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> you know, like beat a, beat a dog on a TV show, you're going to get hate mail. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It sounds like you're advocating dog killing, but I know you're not. <laughs> no, that's the worst thing you can do. Right. That's the worst in a TV thing. In, in TV or movies, you don't kill animals. You can kill, you can kneecap people. You can beat them till they're senseless. Like look at uh, the TV show Sopranos. They beat somebody senseless in every episode, but you have one char- main character walking down the street and kick a dog. You're going to get hate mail left, right, and center. No, Absolutely. Yeah, so the lines we draw are arbitrary, and the fact that murder is normal in this show in particular and in on TV in general is fine. Suicide is not as normal, but I think it was handled in relatively the same way. I think it was handled reasonably well on, on this episode, and uh, you're right about the murder. I mean, we've seen people murdered on this show for way you know, less reason than, than, uh, what Sasha did here when she took her own life. So, yeah. I mean, remember when, uh, when Rick shot, um, Pete, I mean, yep. he, he just aimed the gun and shot him for, you know, I mean, Pete was attacking someone, but that was a pretty cavalier murder, right? It was, yeah. And we've seen that happen a lot. So, uh, uh, there you go. Next up is Matt in Yorkshire, England. Matt says, what was the point of the coffin? I know they needed a plot device to enable Sasha to turn unseen and then surprise everyone with her undead state. But what possible explanation would there be for Negan to have her in it? Every other time we've had a hostage or bargaining situation like this, the captive has just been produced from the back of a truck with a gun pointed at their head. It added to the dramatic effect, but was still a bit weird. Maybe Negan was remembering a play that he was in where he didn't get the main part of the vampire uh, in the uh, in the casket, and he just wanted to uh, stage that. <laughs> I think Matt answered his own question. It added dramatic effect, but was a bit weird. Yeah, it was a bit weird. I think you're right. I think it, uh, honestly, the casket didn't have any reason for being there other than something that Sasha could jump out of as a walker without anybody knowing that she turned. Well, Negan, as you've said, has a flair for the dramatic. And I think putting someone in a coffin rather than just, you know, pulling them out of the back of a truck, it appeals to his dramatic side. And that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, but give us a line telling us that. You know, somebody say something about why we're having this casket other than it just being the thing that we're doing this time. I suppose. Yeah, I guess. But hey, come on. It was exciting. I liked it. I'm going to let it no. pass. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's a good point. I'll let it pass too. Cause uh, you know, it's fine. Casket, stand it up on end. Why not? Yeah, exactly. All right. Next we have uh, Ant in Essex, UK. We are supposed to believe that Negan would allow Ezekiel to keep a tiger. Hell, the Alexandrians aren't allowed mattresses, let alone big deadly cats. Uh, perhaps he didn't know. Well, I, I think that may be it. Uh, remember, the, uh, the, the saviors and King Ezekiel and his guys meet outside of the kingdom. They don't go inside the kingdom. And he doesn't bring Shiva, the tiger, to those meetings. No, because she would go after the dead pigs, I assume. Right. 
Or the and, watermelons. And I think he, or he has the watermelons. Yeah. I think he wants to keep her a secret. So it's a good possibility that Negan didn't know about the tiger. Right. And I think oh, that's, I'm, that's clear in this episode. He's like a, a goddamn tiger, right? He had no yeah. idea. Yeah. I'm thinking of hippopotamuses that like watermelons, not tigers, but tigers would go after pigs. But yes, I, uh, and they even, uh, they alluded to, if not outright said that most of the, um, uh, the kingdom people didn't even know that Negan was there, right? It was just a small subset of people that knew that uh, they were, you know, providing tribute to the, uh, to the, uh, to Negan. And yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. Sorry. Ezekiel, he hasn't told his people about this deal. They just do it. Yeah. So yeah, why would he tell Negan about the, to, oh, by the way, you know, here's some watermelons and some pigs. I have a tiger named Shiva. Uh, <laughs> would you like to meet her? <laughs> no, yeah. not right now. Okay. Maybe a little bit later, maybe in a season finale. That's right. We've got a big episode coming up later. Maybe then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll have, we'll introduce you to her then. Yes, exactly. So I don't think he knew. It's plain, plain as that. Yeah. Uh, here's a call from Chris in New Orleans. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Chris from New Orleans. And I just listened to your feedback episode for the last episode of season seven the first day of the rest of your life. And I can't believe that no one wrote in about horses behind the wall. When the cavalry from the kingdom come, they seem to get through the one gate where all the saviors were on horseback. How did they do this? Were they already in behind the walls? Did they hoist the horses over the walls. I don't know how the horses got behind enemy lines. Maybe you can help me out with that. Thanks. Okay. So I, I, I am sort of surprised that this, uh, didn't come up sooner, but Jason, read the next email here because it's on the same topic and, uh, we have some theories on what's going on. All right. The email's from Ken in Sacramento. Holy crap. Uh, where did the kingdom and hilltop people come from? I have four theories on how that might be possible. One, they were already there. That is possible, but they would have had to been there before the scavengers arrived earlier that morning, and Rick would have had to keep their presence secret from the scavengers. But then why didn't they intervene earlier? Two, there is a back gate to Alexandria we didn't know about. This would have had to have been added after the wolves attacked, since you'll remember that Glenn walked around the outside of the fence looking for a way in during that episode, and there wasn't a back gate then. Three, they climbed over the fence somewhere out of sight. That's certainly possible for the people, and Shiva might have been able to jump over the fence, but how did they get the horses over? Or four. Uh, or they snuck through the front gate past the saviors and the scavengers who were distracted and then went around the houses in order to attack from behind Negan. Right. So, uh, <laughs> attack Negan from behind. Um, I don't think any of these are very good theories and I hate to say it, but I think we're going to have to let this one go because I can't think of any other reason for them to be inside Alexandria unless they just... In the mayhem of the battle, they were able to run in the front gate and join join the fight somehow. Okay, so first of all, Shiva couldn't have jumped over the fence. That's just way too high for a tiger. They're too big of a cat. They can climb like a son of a bitch, I think, but I don't think that they can jump very high. It's not like a house cat that can jump like twice their height or their body length in order to get on like a really high 
bookshelf or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, I think tigers can jump twice their height, just like house cats, but no, I think they can. I think they can jump extremely far now, but those walls are 12 feet. Probably. I don't think yeah. a tiger can jump over it. Don't forget though. There are those support ramps going up and tigers are, or cats in general are pretty agile. So it's conceivable. Let's just say within the okay, realm of Okay, but not the horses, okay? We have to draw the line at the horses. Ha- yes, horses can jump over, I don't know how how high those horse jumping things are, but they're certainly not 12 feet, so, or Well, or yeah, higher. there's not horse high jumping competitions, because if horses could jump high, there would be horse high jumping competitions. Well, there are the horse jumping no, competitions. No, they're jumping competitions, but they don't, they're for, you know, uh, poise and getting around the, uh, the optical course in a timely manner. They're not specifically like raise the bar yeah. and then you have a jump, a horse jump over that and you go, oh, okay, that was a pretty good high there. To, let's uh, try getting, uh, raising the bar a little bit more or giving the horse a pull in order to pull vault over this thing. That is just, that's just totally ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're totally right. I'm, I'm saying even if the tiger could get over... You can't. You'd need a crane of some kind to get the horses over. Do you think they brought blowtorches and the cut down section of the wall clandestinely? That seems a little short-sighted. You know, let's let's cut a hole in this wall that is keeping us safe uh, just to join this battle. Didn't Aaron and Maggie uh, scout out some underground uh, crap? A sewer. That's true. A sewer. You think they came in that way? No. Did you get a horse through a sewer? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And remember, Aaron and Maggie got to a grate, which maybe they could get through, but at the time they couldn't because there was a pile of zombies outside it. So I don't think it was the sewer. I don't. Okay. So the only thing we can think of or anything I can think of was that uh, they're not there. Maybe they're imaginary because they couldn't have gotten in. Yeah, that's uh, one possibility, or we're just going to have to let it go and say, well, they were there the whole time, you know, but I think there are some pretty good arguments against that too. And I don't want to nitpick this, but I, I do feel like this is one of those things that you can question, like they're inside Alexandria. How did they get in? It's, it's a simple question with no good answer. Yeah, well, there is no good answer, and this is uh, this is a good point that I hadn't considered is uh, how they how they get in, and this is making me uncomfortable and a little bit angry. <laughs> okay, I'll well, have to admit it's just making me a little bit angry. We should probably get off the topic then, and hopefully you can just stop thinking about it, put it behind you, and turn your brain to something else. I think I think we're going to have to let it go because if we don't let it go, then I'm going to have to write a letter to somebody. Okay, well, we don't want a letter writing campaign to start. No, just me. I'll write a letter to Greg Nicotero or one of his underlings. You'll write a letter a day, I assume. No, that, just one. Just one? All right. He'll get it. He's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. And he'll see the error in his ways and reshoot the episode or recut it to make it make more sense. Or, you know, uh, retcon the installation of a back gate in case they need to bring horses in. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they've talked about... You know, we saw Maggie writing list about, you know, horses with two question marks. Uh, she's in Hilltop, of course, but maybe she's spreading her message around and people are like, you're right, horses, we need horse gates. And so they've been building them. I don't know. Maybe, well, they've been doing, making medieval weapons at uh, at the Hilltop. So maybe they made some kind of a horsepult, which uh, just, you know, threw the horse and the lions over the wall and everybody else climbed. <laughs> the horsepult. The horsepult. Uh, yeah. Let's go with that. 
<laughs> I think there's a lot of maybes and possibilities and I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know is here. So a horse. Uh, you know, okay. Well, you know, it's based off a trebuchet because a trebuchet would have a nice even acceleration. So you wouldn't like a catapult would be like too much, uh, too many G's for the horse right at all at once. Whereas uh, a nice slow arc from a, uh, uh, from a trebuchet would get that, that horse over the, uh, over the wall just it, fine. It Landing sure- will just. I don't know how they landed. Big pile of hay, I assume. Yeah, well, they don't have a big pile of mattresses to make, so. Yeah, throw the hay over first, like a whole bunch of hay, and then it just kind of builds this big pile, and then you horse the bolt the thing over, and (laughs) then you get on and, you know, say, good boy, and (laughs) ride away. (laughs) That, this is getting, uh, this is getting crazier and crazier. Uh, All right, where are we now? I think the next one is Stephen in Australia. Uh, quick hockey update. It's 2-2 Toronto and Washington at the end of the third period. So we are indeed going into overtime. Nice. Just like I was hoping. Yeah. So if we finish up here, maybe we can catch some of the overtime because they, sudden death, they play until somebody scores as long as it takes. So that was one of the questions I had before this, before we started recording was how, you know, do they just Uh keep going into overtime or do they have a shootout or a fist fight or something? They don't (laughs) do that. They just have, they just keep going until they score. They just keep playing until someone scores. Yeah. Okay. I think a fist fight would be a good way to end a hockey game. Uh, no. Punching contest. No. Not with gloves and a helmet on. You know, you don't want anybody to get hurt. No, you don't. You don't want that. Steven in Australia writes, I've been down a lot about the show in the past two seasons, and you guys have kept me hanging in. And I'm happy to say that the finale was quite good, and I'm now on board for next season. I didn't see the scavenger's betrayal, and that was one of the few moments in season seven that was completely unexpected. That said, the show's weakness was evident, was again evident, as I never thought for a second that anyone of note would die, except for Sasha, although I did think we would have at least one death fakeout, Michonne, and a few flesh wounds, Rosita and Rick, and sadly I was right. I'd really like to see that sense of menace return next season, at least a bit, when main character deaths only occur with a lot of foreshadowing and, quote, hero moments, it draws down on the suspense and realism. Moments like the death of Dr. Denise, unforeseen, tragic, and almost random, that really move me. Uh, need to return to give the show some gravitas and stop it being too cartoonish. I agree. Me too. I think the death of Dr. Denise came out of nowhere, honestly, and it was shocking and it was sad and I felt really bad because I didn't want Dr. Denise to die. But other than that, they've been telegraphing death so much by, you know, as Steven says, giving the hero moments and foreshadowing that you can just see it coming a mile away. Everyone knew Sasha was going to die in the season finale, right? Well, yeah, mainly because of Star Trek. But that's not even why. Like, you could, do you think if she didn't have another show lined up, you still wouldn't have been able to see it coming a mile away? Well, I feel like I, you could. I would have, but it's it's hard to separate one from the other because um, they were giving her the hero moments and telegraphing that she was going to die because she was going to die. So it's it's uh, it's kind of a circular argument. I know. But uh, I, I'm having a hard time separating the two, uh, the, the, the real world knowledge that she's leaving the show and the in-story knowledge that uh, they're telegraphing her, her death and giving her the hero moment. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just think if the, even if there was no real world knowledge that she was leaving the show, I think you would have seen it coming, you know, pretty easily. Um, and that's, that sucks. Like the, the randomness of, of Dr. Denise's, Denise's death is one of the things that made it so surprising. And in, in a zombie apocalypse, random shit would happen, right? Especially yeah. when there's other bad people running around or, you know, you, you just, you can't stop those sorts of things. And I'm not saying everything needs to be like that, but. To be fair, we happen. got that with Glenn. That's like, that was true. out of nowhere. That's, that is true. I did not, I didn't see that coming. You're right. Once Abraham, like at the end of last season, we knew somebody was going to die, right? They, they faked us out or didn't fake us out, but they didn't give us that, uh, final moment that we knew we were going to get that in the, uh, in the opening scene, which we got and it was Abraham and he died and we're like, oh, we finally know what's going to happen, who the eeny, meeny, miny, mo victim was. And we finally understand that. But then we got Glenn too. That was out of nowhere. That was tragic. That was brutal. We had that. No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I kind of forgot about Glenn in that, in that moment. So they sort of are doing both, I guess. Well, you know, it's tough because telegraphing, uh, I like that term and I keep using it, so I'm going to continue to use it. Uh, Sasha's death, I think wasn't necessarily needed. And I think they, um, they've been faking this out too much. Glenn in the dumpster was... It's it's a hard pill to swallow, and I'm still it's still a little bitter in my throat. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, it's 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 funny because the unexpected deaths are the ones that are the most shocking, are the ones that are, that work the best, and then they they hint at ones that you see coming a mile away, and we don't like that. <laughs> yeah, but it, but you sort of tend to focus on the negative more than the positive of killing characters, if I can put it that way. Um, and then the whole, the, the fake out is a whole other thing, right? That nobody likes, I don't think. So, um, no yeah, more stop faking. Doing that. Yeah. Stop doing that. Scott <laughs> Gibble. <laughs> stop it. That's, that's not what we want. Uh, all right, move on to the next one. This is maybe the longest email we've ever included on the show, Jason, and it's all yours. <laughs> all right. So let's uh, see if I can get through this. This is Chris from Chicago, Illinois. On today's feedback show, a listener mentioned that there are no stakes anymore because main characters aren't being killed. But as part of the same conversation, Jason mentioned Glenn and Abraham. There was also Sasha, Olivia, and others this season. From my perspective, the issue isn't that characters aren't dying, because they are. It's that too often the characters are put in situations where only the only escape makes little or no logical sense within the narrative. For instance... When all of Jadis' subjects were being killed by Carl, Jadis stood there with the gun pointed at Rick's head. As soon as the shooting started, Rick should have been shot dead by Jadis. She had no stated reason to not shoot him at that point. We can assume that Negan gave her orders not to kill him, but that's never stated within the episode. And within... uh, And while she wounds him, it's not a wound that would incapacitate him in any way, like a shot to the leg. Having all of the cavalry folks just just out in the open rather than shooting from behind cover doesn't make any sense in story, but makes a better visual. So, having all the kingdom and hilltop people have little to no casualties make no sense. The hilltop folk and kingdom troops show up at the most at almost exactly the same time makes the real makes real world sense but also a more dramatic crescendo 
This seems to be happening more and more frequently within the show. The first horrible break of the narrative really, I remember, was when the van fell from the bridge and apparently flipped itself over between camera angles. Since then, uh, it has added to the feeling of the lack of stakes, I would say, that more uh, emblematic of Days Ex Machina writing. Characters survive or don't survive, not based off of in-story, but based solely on where they want to, to uh, lead the plot. It's problematic and leads to dumpster escapes and deer switcheroos that overall hurts the series. The writers should either avoid writing themselves into corners like that or have better planning that allows for blocking the scene setups in ways that appear more natural in the final edit. Right. So, um, it's, it's characters, you know, they're, they're killing people off for the plot. Yeah. For the story. So Chris has put into words something that has been nebulously bothering me, uh, that I haven't either articulated in any way, but it has been something that's been bothering me. Uh, the way, um, the tiger came out of nowhere, the way the, uh, you know, really the hilltop, uh, and, uh, kingdom people got into the compound at all and came out of nowhere, uh, to save the day at exactly the right time at exactly the right uh, spot in order to not kill Carl. Right. And then, uh, and then Negan reacted exactly the way he should have in order to not kill Carl instead of continuing the swing that he had already started. Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of thing where, uh, we get, uh, a hero escape or we get something that moves the plot along, uh, is only there to move the plot along rather than to make sense in, in world. Or sort of like make real world sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's the things that are, are, are inserted for dramatic purposes rather than any storytelling purpose, you know, having, having the hilltop and the kingdom troops show up at, as Chris says, almost exactly the same time makes little real world sense, but it allows for a more dramatic crescendo, right? It's, you know, maybe that could happen, but when, when these kind of coincidences basically are happening over and over and over again in the show, it kind of takes you out of it. And it's like, if someone's in danger, oh, something random is going to happen to get them out of danger, right? Yeah. This is why I never feared for Carl's life. Because uh, they had Rick and Carl down on, on their knees and Negan was about to kill Carl. He even got the bat up and was about to swing. And at no point was I thinking that Carl was going to die. No. I knew something was going to happen. Something, some days ex machina, you know, God would come down and prevent this thing from happening because, you know, that's not part of the story. That's not part of the plot. Not because it makes sense uh, that something would happen uh, It within story. It just, you know, we need something dramatic in order to shake things up and to save Carl. Right. And it's and a tiger. As one of our listeners coined last time, last week, it's tiger ex machina. And, uh, yeah. I, I thought that term was fantastic. So yeah, I, it's, I, I wish they would write it a little bit better than relying on coincidence and to save people, you know? Yes, it's dramatic. Yes, I kind of liked it. And I, as I've said, I really enjoyed the season finale and I felt pumped when King Ezekiel came in and, 
and whatever he said, you know, yelled out his battle cry and I was excited and it was fun to watch. But when you step back and you, you consider sort of the overall implications of the, what, what they're doing here, it's, it's easy to, for that excitement to diminish a little bit. Yeah. You know, tell the story that the story wants to be rather than uh, cramming in the dramatic story that you feel that we need. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. And, and if you just do it the right way, this, the story will be dramatic and it will be the story that we need and the one that we get and everything will be perfect. So, um, but, but every show, I mean, I think every show suffers from this at some point or another, um, some more than others, right? But a show like Breaking Bad, even in that show, which is one of the best shows of ever on TV, in my opinion, even it had the occasional moment like this, but, but for some reason they were able to tell that story with a minimal, with minimal problems like this. That's an interesting uh, thesis. Show your work. What example do you have of uh, Breaking Bad? I can't this, because this it's a giant spoiler. <laughs> oh, a giant spoiler. I'm I, I think that they did exactly the opposite in a couple of cases where even in instances where uh, you felt like a character shouldn't meet the end that they uh, were prescribing, uh, nothing came to save him. Well, Breaking Bad was especially good at not doing this, but there's I got one particular thing in my mind where I thought it was, uh, it, it, it fell victim to this sort of thing as well. And I'll tell you off the air, but I can't say it on here because it's, it's too much of a spoiler. So maybe we can have a breaking bad spoiler section at the end of this uh, episode. We'll, uh, we'll call it, we'll do the say goodnights and then we'll stay online and, and give a warning. Cause I'd like to hear this. And I'm sure there's other people out there that would like to hear a, a no holds bar discussion <laughs> of this that, uh, uh, is spoiler filled. All right. Well, we'll, we'll try to Just remember. a couple of minutes after the whole thing is done. We'll try to remember to do that. Okay. Fair enough. I'll remember. Don't you forget. Oh. Don't you worry. I'm <laughs> not worried. Uh, let's move on though. Andy in sunny-ish UK wrote in and said, I have to say, I've not really liked this season. Aside from a few sporadic highlights, Morgan's acting, Daryl and Rick reunite, etc. To me, the reason for this season failing flat is the villain, Negan. I just don't find him threatening. Egan was introduced expertly, stupid cliffhanger aside, and what happened that fateful night in the woods definitely broke Rick, but my belief he would languish under Negan's control for as long as he did required Negan to remain a dominating threat throughout, which is exactly what he isn't in my eyes. Each time I see Negan on screen or his dumbass right-hand man, men, I believe him to be less and less of a credible threat. I think it may be as simple as the physicality of the actor. He just seems like a skinny camp old dude. When he was talking to Sasha in the penultimate episode while she was in her cell, I genuinely expected her to just headbutt him like she did Rapey Dave. I get that JDM is a fine actor, but he fails to fill the screen with the kind of physical dominance the character requires, in my opinion. So is JDM too skinny for Negan? Uh, well, I don't know, because I have vague memories of what Negan looks like in the comic book, but he might be a little too skinny for Negan. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if, if he's, if, if that's the problem, but uh, again, You just think that he needs more physical presence? A little bit, yeah. And if he wasn't so goofy, I think he would have that physical presence a little bit. Right. 
It doesn't have to be huge. Like, it doesn't have to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his late 20s, huge. No. Uh, he, he has to be more like... Uh, uh, I, don't I don't even know, know who. But he's, he's, and, I, and I assume Andy's saying that uh, his uh, dumbass right-hand men, I, I assume he's excluding Simon. Well, I... Just I, have, I have to. I, I would assume so, yeah. There's no way you he can has call perfect that guy. situational awareness, and uh, you know he's he's the physically imposing guy that we need for Negan. Uh, no, he's really way too skinny too. <laughs> he's not too skinny. Go and watch uh, Westworld. Uh, he's in Westworld. This guy is cut. I'm not kidding. He is a muscular dude. Right, but he's a lean muscular dude. Negan needs to have like big, wide shoulders and like like, like muscle bound arms, like the mountain. Does he have to be that big? Well, That'd that, be physically imposing. I don't even want to, you know, I don't even want to get near that actor. Yeah, that guy is, that guy is enormous. Um, he's one of the biggest human beings on the planet, though. I don't know if he needs to be that big, but just a little fuller in the bone structure department than Jeffrey right. Dean Morgan is. Okay. You know, put on some weight. You know, he could put on some weight, I suppose. Put yeah. on some muscle. Yeah, yeah. Grow a couple inches. <laughs> Exactly. That's Could right. happen. Maybe, maybe wear a a, a slightly fat suit, <laughs> or you know, uh, shoes with thick soles. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, but but I think I think Andy, if Jeffrey Dean Morgan didn't quite act so goofily, he'd be a little bit more physically imposing. It takes away from it the way he leans back and is always so swaggery. But he's unpredictable. He's like the Joker. I know, I know, I know. You don't, you don't know exactly what he's going to do. You don't know whether he, he, you know, some, somebody does something to him. He's either going to love it and think you're his best friend and make you spaghetti, or he's going to bash your head in with a barbed wire wrapped baseball bat. Yeah, no, you're right. He, you'd never know what he's going to do, I guess. Except that I always feel like he's going to smile and make a joke, which is part of the problem. Yeah, he's like North Korea. You never know what they're going to do in a situation. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Just unpredictable. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a few more here, so let's uh, bang them out. All right. Next is Dev from Sydney, Australia. Something of interest regarding the discussion around coffins and people being buried alive that you had on the last episode. A lot of the terms we use commonly actually come from that time. For example, saved by the bell. When someone was buried, they had a bell attached, and if they weren't, if they were alive, they would tug on the rope, and the bell would ring. Hence, the person was saved, said to be saved by the bell. Dead ringer. This is also the supposedly dead person would ring the bell. Graveyard shift. This refers to a person whose job it was to sit in the graveyard and ensure that the if if a bell rang, he or she assisted the person and got them out of the coffin. Yeah, so I just thought this was kind of interesting, you know, saved by the bell. I never knew where that term came from. And and uh, you brought that up last time and Dev in Australia uh, just filled in the blanks a little bit. Graveyard shift, what a shitty job that would be. <laughs> yeah, totally, eh? Other than most nights you just kind of sit in the dark and watch the stars and probably fall asleep and wait for a bell to ring. And then if you're sleeping and the bell rings and you miss it, who's going to know? <laughs> really yeah nobody because <laughs> that bell's probably not going to ring for long <laughs> just probably one person and they're not going to tell anybody after a while no they are not so not even you won't you won't even know but yeah that's interesting that uh, those terms come from that it's cool stuff thanks dev uh next is dan in durant iowa now dan sent in a bunch of points but uh, i wanted to go with this one because i thought it was kind of interesting dan says no f-bombs still bothers me 
especially since I've seen other shows do it now. Taboo on FX and Six on History both use the F word. I looked up the FCC's rules and there's a difference between 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. and 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. It also says that, uh, quote, in the past, the FCC has enforced the indecency and profanity prohibitions only against conventional broadcast services, not against subscription programming services such as cable and satellite. And uh, so Dan sent a link to the um, uh, FCC rules, which I, you know, skimmed through. I didn't read the whole thing because it's a bit long. Um, And they do seem to permit offensive language like that after 10 p.m. um, or any time on subscription programming services, which I think AMC falls into that category. Um, So the question really is, why don't they go for it? Why don't they allow the F word in their script. They're trying to be a family show. I guess they're, I guess, I mean, they're trying to, you know, they have a TV MA rating. So, um, you know, they are definitely for adults only, but maybe they're just trying to take it down a tiny notch. So maybe like parents might feel okay about their like 15, 16 year old kids watching it. But what, 15-year-old kid doesn't know the word fuck, you know? Well, yeah. Maybe it's uh, as simple as, uh, you know, you and I in the uh, in, in the software development world have uh, development standards, right? At the beginning of a project or beginning of, uh, you know, something, you can formali- formally write a document that indicates these are the development standards we're going to use. And the development standards basically say the structures, code structure is going to be like this. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. This is how we're going to structure a test, that kind of thing. And you write that document, everybody adheres to it. When you don't adhere to it, you point to the document and say, you didn't adhere to, the, adhere to this document. Maybe at the beginning of the show, they wrote a document uh, for their uh, their standards. And their standards was no F-bombs, no boobs, right? So uh, maybe it's it's nothing more complicated than that. This show has a book that indicates, or a document that indicates, these are the standards we're going to adhere to for this show. Gore, fine. Uh, you know, we can rip people in half. We can rip out throats. We can have uh, all kinds of blood gushing out. We can step on heads. We can blow up people. We can murder them. All that kind of stuff. But... No F-bombs, no boobs. We got to have standards. No <laughs> kicking dogs. Now one I agree with. Right, yeah. But you prefer the word fuck and the occasional breast. Yeah, yeah, show a boob. That's no problem. Of course. <laughs> yeah, F-bomb, fine, whatever. It's for a mature audience, but, you know, I, 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 would, I would have a hard time continuing watching the show if they killed a dog. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I don't know. I'm not sure it takes away that there's no um, F-words. But I also don't think it would really add that much if they were in there. Well, you, you, I think you have to have a reason to add them in rather than a reason to not have them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Justify them being there rather than not being there. Yeah, for example, Deadwood, right? One of the, um, when they were making that show, that show is like chock full of swearing and all kinds of stuff. And the reason they put that in, it was a very specific reason, and it had to do with the uh, that time in American history where uh, it was, 
in uh, in Deadwood, there was no law. Legally, they were in on a, a reservation and the American law didn't apply. So there was no sheriff. There was no nothing. You, you could murder somebody in the street by just straight out pulling your pistol out and blowing their head off. And other than social convention, there was no reason why you couldn't do that. And so in that kind of atmosphere, uh, a safe way of um, being aggressive is to swear a lot. Get into somebody's face and swear a lot. There's no physical action there and that's fine and it's just a, uh, a verbal back and forth, but that's how they had that, uh, how they had aggression uh, without having to escalate things to uh, deadly physical violence. So the reason for having the swearing in that show is because it was felt that it was historically accurate for that time and place. So that's a reason to add it in. It, uh, whereas this show... Um, you know, they don't have a reason to add it in. They just, they, you know, you're not defaulting to just adding it because it's going to make things more mature. It's, uh, it's that they don't have a specific reason for having that kind of language or a boob. Well, I guess not other than the fact that that's how people talk and that's how people would talk in, in this situation, but I'm not but so sure. That's not necessarily. That's not necessarily I don't swear in, uh, in my everyday life. I only swear on the show. Really, <laughs> he gets it all out here, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a reason to put it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I find it funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah, you're uh, you're offending or you're being vulgar with random people on the internet. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right. Uh, one more email and we'll call it a night. All right, so this is from Henry in Salins near Dublin, Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> Ireland. Anyway, uh, so this picks up in the middle of the, uh, the whole email. Uh, Henry writes, uh, The episode themselves had their moments, I feel. Not all were brilliant action sequences or incredible CGI, but, uh, but often honest-to-goodness acting. Andrew Lincoln, Stephen Ogg, Tom Payne, Lenny James, and Josh McDermott, and a few others did great work this year. Others seemed to have the year off. Was it me, or did some characters never really show up at all? Tobin, Aaron, Father Gabe, Carol, uh, Carl. It seems that keeping an ensemble cast together is tough on a show like this. And that's something I felt a little bit this season. It it seemed like some characters were just gone for long stretches. Um, I wouldn't really say Carol uh, fits into that category here from Henry's list because Carol did have a fair bit to do when, when she was moving into the cabin. And I speculated at the time that she, we might not see her for a long time, but she ended up playing a big part towards the end of the season there. But you know, he's right about Carl, especially like what did Carl do this season? Other well, than- he shot a whole bunch of people at the end there without getting shot at all and not managing to get his father killed. Yeah. Good for him. He did that. He also stowed away in the truck, right? And, and failed to kill Negan when he had a pretty good opportunity. For uh, some reason. Yeah. But I feel like he, he wasn't in much, many of the other episodes, like maybe one scene and no lines for a while there. And, um, it's, it's tough when you have this many characters. I don't really expect Tobin to be around all that much, to be quite honest, um, and Aaron had a few things to do. Father Gabriel, you know, he had his one thing, which was to, uh, run off and get captured by the, the scavengers. So some of those characters definitely had their one moment in, in a whole season, which doesn't seem like enough. Like what's justifying them being on the show still, uh, if that's all they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, really they could kill Carl off and it wouldn't affect the show that much. 
when you think about it, yeah, it really wouldn't. If Carl had been killed in the forest, what would have been different? Yeah, not a lot, not a lot. If Father Gabe had been killed, what would have been different? You know, they, I guess you could say they might not have found the scavengers, but I'm not even sure that's, that's true. If no, that was a plot device that they used to find the scavengers. That wasn't necessary. They could have just stumbled on them at the boat. Yeah. They were there. That's right. That's right. They'd be um, like, hey, what are you doing on my boat? The sca- Remember, the scavengers came and stole their stuff, right? So yeah. it was just a fluke that Father uh, Gabe was on watch at that moment. Uh, How Tobin, did they get in? Was there a back gate? <laughs> yeah, there, was, there must have been in? a back gate. <laughs> or they could jump over the walls. So I um, their helicopter because they have a helipad. Oh, right. They flew their helicopter in and... Uh, Gabe was like, I think I hear something, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I wonder what that noise is. I haven't yeah. heard that since. Anyway. <laughs> nice. Um, but but uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, when it comes to Lincoln and Tom Paine and Josh McDermott, Lenny James, they did, it did feel like they had a little bit more going on. And uh, universally, they were all really good. So I, at least, at least there's that. I feel good about that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote and called in. We have done more feedback over these two podcasts for the season seven finale than I think we've done for any other single episode. Uh, But that is amazing. And, um, you know, uh, keep sending in your thoughts if you want. Uh, It's it's always great to hear from people. The stupid Washington Capitals won the game in overtime. Oh, Jason, it's three. It ended three, two. I am anxious to go and check out the highlights and see what happened, but how much, how much overtime? I don't know. I don't have the, uh, I don't have the details in front of me here. Let me see. Uh, but the point is Leafs were up to nothing and then lost. And I'm a little concerned that this may be the way this series goes. Um, Sounds like the Leafs. Well, I don't want to get into a whole thing, but you know, the Washington Capitals are the top team in the league. <laughs> they are a damn good hockey Aww, team. What are they playing the Leafs for? <laughs> because we snuck into the playoffs and you know, the, the, damn it. the last team plays the best. Uh, so anyways, that's a bummer and I'm going to go cry into my beer now and hope we can win game two in a couple nights. Anyways, um, what's happening next on, on our podcast? Uh, well, not nothing tonight, but coming up in the near future, we are going to be recording on Monday night because that's when we have to announce the winner of the season seven record your favorite scene contest. Exciting. So that's very exciting. So, uh, look for that then along with a few other things that night, probably get caught up on the, uh, walking dead news or something like that too. We haven't done that in a long time. After that, We are going to record our season seven wrap-up crossover with Jason and Karen from the Walking Dead cast. That'll be sometime, well, that'll be out sometime on the weekend starting Friday, May 5th. So uh, check that out. What we do is we do half the podcast on our show and half the podcast on their show, which is always really fun. So that's that. And then I was thinking, dude, what about doing a JDM actor spotlight? Sure. All right. So I think let's... I've been wanting to watch the Watchmen. Watchmen again. Okay. Well, we can maybe include that on the list. Uh, but how about this? We'll announce what we're going to watch from Jeffrey Dean Morgan's back catalog on Monday because sure. <laughs> we still have to choose the items. So I uh, <laughs> can't really get into it right here, right now. Uh, and then when that comes out, I don't know, but we will try to figure that out. So that's what's coming up. 
in the next little while. And, um, you know, we're not all that far away from Fear the Walking Dead returning too. So we have that to look forward to. Cool. All right, everyone. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on send voicemail to send in uh, or to record audio right into your computer and send us a message. You can also send email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Talking Dead. Well, season seven, it's been a hell of a ride and uh, it's, it's fun to get through all of this feedback from everyone. But I'm also looking forward to, uh, you know, taking a, a little break and, and getting into some other stuff over the off season. So uh, hopefully you will stick around with us and continue to listen. All right, that's going to do it. Until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. All right, can we talk Breaking Bad? Okay. Spoiler-filled Breaking Bad. Okay, so... We're going to spoil the whole series, like, from beginning to end. Well, no, uh, not necessarily, but this is, yes, okay, so fair warning, if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, I'm going to talk about something that happens in the last episode of the last season, uh, near the end. (laughs) And (laughs) so, um, so if you don't want to hear that, turn us off now. And you know what, I'm not sure this entirely fits into, uh, the problem that we were talking about with The Walking Dead, but... The the plan that Walter White executes in the final episode involving yep. uh, a machine gun in the trunk of a car that he uh-huh. parks in exactly the right spot that is yep. he's able to trigger and it takes out all the right guys like remotely basically because he's not in the car, not controlling the thing that felt a little too convenient and easy for him to pull off, even though he's a smart guy. Um, I felt like that was one of those situations where they wrote something. It was just a little too implausible or convenient right. or lucky. I would think so. Why wouldn't he just make mix up a bunch of that exploding <laughs> crystal stuff uh, like he did at the end of the first season and just walk in with that? Uh, Throw it on the ground, have it explode, and then, you know, maybe there's saves m- the day. Maybe there's more chance of him blowing himself up too then. But like when that machine gun is just spraying bullets into the building and he dives for the floor... Yeah, I mean, there's there's probably just as much chance that he'll get hit there as well, but you know, whatever. I, it's overall Breaking Bad was amazing, and there was barely a misstep in what was it five years, five seasons. Yeah. But that one, as much as I loved the finale, and I think it's one of the best series finales of all time, that just felt a little too easy. Even though, even though uh, Walter White was yes, this guy who could get himself out of any jam, right? He'd get in a pickle and get right out of it. Right. And you believe, you believe that over five seasons, like you believe that that is just one of the things he can do, you know, but this was almost too far for the show. Too far. Yeah. What I was going to bring up was the death of Mike Mm. in the last season. Uh, that, I think that was one of the most powerful things. Like it was, he's such a beloved character and one of my favorite characters on the whole series. And, uh, you know, it just, it made sense story-wise that, uh, that Walt would kill him because he kills everybody. Yeah. But that's, that's, that was okay. I thought they handled 
his death really no, well. No, that's what I'm saying. It was yeah, okay. awesome. Like it, it was telegraphed and it was, uh, it was inevitable and, uh, it was excellent and sad because I didn't want Mike to die. Right. Right. I feel bad watching Better Call Saul with Mike in it and he's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's Knowing true. that he's going to die. <laughs> yeah, eventually. But you're right. But not in this show. Not in Better Call Saul. I can't die in Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, right? I wouldn't think so. No, I wouldn't yeah. think so. Uh, but but you're right. That's a, that's a good point. Like you kind of know that's going to happen and then it does, but it's not a letdown, you know? Right. Interesting. So Even uh, Fring, you knew he was going to die and his death was still awesome. His death was amazing. So maybe it's just about, you know, how they do it. <laughs> yeah. And which- Well, it's the, um, it's the adding weight, you know, having the death of characters- being uh, important and having weight and not being saved by random acts of uh, somebody else coming in and saving the day just for a dramatic crescendo. Yeah, you're right. Just not doing it for, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. So Breaking Bad, awesome. Yeah, well, if, <laughs> go watch Breaking Bad, everyone, if uh, if you haven't. But if you haven't, then I'm sorry, because you should have turned this off a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. 